Turn to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, we'll be looking at verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. And actually, we're going to be looking at verse 21 tonight as well. Evil pursues sinners, but to the righteous, good shall be repaid. So these two verses tonight. Now, here we have another theme that uh, we've considered before in the book of Proverbs. Um, uh, We see here the influence of friends and how we should choose them carefully uh, because they'll either help us or hinder us in our relationship with God. As you, you remember, we've touched on this subject a couple of times already. And we see in this verse the contrast again between wisdom and folly. Now, I've heard many people say that they're immune to evil influences from friends, uh, but this, this is pride and blindness on their part, for others can see the influence upon them, but they can't sense it because the influence of others is hard to perceive in ourselves. We cannot look at ourselves objectively uh, as as others can in this way. I know uh, uh, some years ago, my wife uh, at times had to tell me that I was beginning to act like a certain relative that I had, I won't mention who he was, but after being around him too much, uh, I would take on little things that uh, kind of irritated her. She didn't really like, you know. I hate to confess that I have the ability to irritate my wife, but I got to tell you, I do. Uh, and uh, and so anyway, uh, it, it really wasn't a compliment when she told me I was beginning to to behave like this person, and I didn't, I didn't have the same value system as this relative. I didn't like his ways, but yet, involuntarily, I began to mimic him ever so slightly. I'd like to say ever so slightly. I don't know if she'd agree with that, but Lori would see it, whereas I would not until she pointed it out. When she pointed it out, I'd say, yeah, you're right about that, you know, and, and, um, uh, uh, by the way, it's good for husbands and wives to interact in these ways and to confront one another when they see things that are amiss in the other. Uh, not to have a critical spirit with one another. We have to guard against that. But it is good for husbands and wives to correct one another. And, uh, and that uh, leads to another, by the way, uh, lesson, verse 18, that we just uh, studied here recently. He that regards a rebuke will be honored. Uh, so I didn't like hearing my wife criticize me, but it was good that she did, and it was and it was something that I could correct, and so I did. Uh, but um, but I was in my 40s or 50s when when these things occurred, and how much more then are we influenced when we're younger than that? Some of you young people here. Uh, you know, if, if an old man in his 40s or 50s, he's not really an old man, but uh, somebody that's already of a mature age can be influenced in this way, well, uh, uh, how much more so for young people? And the truth of this proverb is easily seen in the lives of others. And those of us that have raised children, you know what I'm talking about. 
You see that in your children and the people that they hang around with. Um, And if we're very sensitive and watchful, we can see it in ourselves too. But as I said, it's not easily seen in ourselves. What is the truth of God's word that we need to take seriously here? And we ought not to ever think that we're somehow above it or immune from it. The influence of friends. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Now, a balance must be maintained, of course, when we consider a proverb like that. We can't totally disassociate with lost people or even with foolish people. Uh, we don't want to be like Pharisees and despise others and, and, uh, and uh, disassociate ourselves with uh, the unsaved. First Corinthians chapter 5, Paul reminds the Corinthians in this situation where they were uh, putting a person under church discipline. He said, uh, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then they would need to go out of the world. But he's talking about hypocrites, those that are in the church that would behave in such a way. So we should have friendships with lost people. Uh, Certainly, how can we win them if we refuse to be with them or uh, be friends with them? But passages like this one that we're considering here tonight, they help us to keep us in mind the boundaries that we need to keep in those relationships. Uh, There is danger that as we get close to them, they may influence us in a bad way. And we need to be aware of this and watchful and prayerful. About it. And, I, and I do believe this, too. I believe that God will give us special grace to resist their influence as long as we're keeping those relationships in their right perspective and we are uh, in a relationship with them where we're not shy about sharing the gospel and uh, things of that nature uh, with them. But um, we need to uh, keep a balance in these things and keep godliness as the, the upper priority in our lives at all times. Uh, Ungodly friends will tempt us to uh, disregard the Lord's Day. Uh, uh, they'll, uh, they'll invite us to go golfing or fishing on the Lord's Day or things of that nature. And, but there's so many ways that uh, evil influences can affect us. Now, uh, here's something to keep in mind from George Lawson. He says this. He says, Our Lord safely conversed with sinners because he was free from all danger of being corrupted. And it may on some occasions be our duty also to mingle with the wicked, as as I've mentioned, uh, that we may use means for reclaiming them. But in ordinary cases, guilt or grief is all that a godly person gets by the company of sinners. I thought that was pretty good. Now let's look at the verse itself. It says, he who walks with wise men will be wise. That's our New King James Version. The ESV says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. And the best example of this that we can that I can think of is the church. Uh, God established the church, and one important function of the church is, as you know, the fellowship of the saints. We need one another. Um, uh, and uh, 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 God has given us the church for our good. Uh, most Christians are not going to rise above the spiritual temperature of the church that they're members of. And this is something that I've experienced in my Christian life. Uh, now, there are, of course, exceptions to that rule. It's not, an, it's not a hard and fast rule. <clears throat> but if the church isn't evangelistic, most of the members are not usually going to be evangelistic. 
If the church isn't serious about honoring the Lord's Day, then most of the members are not going to honor the Lord's Day. If the church is a gossip center, uh, members coming in uh, will not be improved in their use of their tongues. And so you, you get the idea that we need, we need the good example of one another. Wisdom begets wisdom. Now, this is reflected, by the way, in our philosophy also of youth ministry. Uh, kids are going to get together, and it can be good or it can be bad. Uh, we don't have children's church, and, and I hope we never will because we believe that they need to be in church with their parents. Uh, we, we have youth functions, uh, but we don't have a youth minister that's dedicated to just the youth. Uh, the most effective youth ministry is done in the home, and we believe that here, uh, and, and this is what we practice. And so we encourage the parents to fulfill their responsibilities to raise their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Uh, now, no youth minister can be as effective as a godly parent. No minister of any, of any, of any rank anywhere can be as effective as a godly parent. Um, and for those children that have ungodly or careless parents, no youth minister or minister can counteract the evil effects of parents like that. There are always exceptional cases of grace, of course. But, uh, but this is the general rule that I've seen in my years. So so we need the church. We need one another. We need to gather together for worship. We need to gather together for prayer. We need to gather together for studying the Bible and for fellowship opportunities. Um, I remember when my uh, kids were at home, I would always make sure that my daughters went with my wife to the uh, ladies' reading group. I just made that as a priority in their lives because I felt like it was important for them to be around these godly women. And to this day, my daughters, every single one of them, admire those women that they associated with in the ladies' reading group back in those days. Older women influencing younger women and girls. And we still have those kind of things going on in the church, and I think it's one of the uh, finest uh, things that we can do. Um, now here's the principle to remember when it comes to youth ministry. Immaturity does not produce maturity. Uh, how many youth ministers have you known of that are just act just like the kids? Um, uh, immaturity does not produce maturity. So don't, don't expect something mature to come out of putting immature people together. And again, Again, I'd have to say we need balance. It wouldn't be good to not allow children to play together. It's good for them to play together. This is good for them so long as you don't expect them to become mature through the influence of their peers. They're not going to be. Uh, and as a parent, you do need to be involved at some level at least in guiding them into the right friendships because uh, the second part of the proverb, the companion of fools will be destroyed or will suffer harm, according to the ESV. We see examples uh, of this in the Bible, don't we? Uh, the companion of fools will be destroyed. Uh, King Joash is a great example. He came to the throne at seven years old. Uh, obviously, he was too young, uh, but he had a good guardian in Jehoiada, the priest. And it says in Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles 24.2, it says, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord, all the days of Jehoiada, the priest, but after the death of Jehoiada, uh, Joash was ruined 
through the influence of wicked leaders in Judah. He obviously had a wicked heart, or he wouldn't have turned just because Jehoiada died. But this example shows us that even a king with a wicked heart was influenced to do good through the influence of a wise and a godly guardian. So his companion helped him. But I think one of the most the clearest and most outstanding of examples of this influence of bad friends in the Bible is the example of Amnon. Uh, we, we know that in 2 Samuel chapter 13, how Amnon had an infatuation with his half-sister Tamar, and it ended badly because of the influence of a very wicked friend of Amnon's named Jonadab. And in Amnon, we have a, a literal fulfillment of this proverb we're looking at tonight because Amnon was literally destroyed on account of what followed, and he will forever be known as a fool. And so, we, of course, we have other examples in the Bible, like, uh, like Rehoboam, who caused the dividing of the nation, remember, because he refused to listen to the counsel of the older men that had been the counselors of his father, and he insisted on listening to the, 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 the uh, counsel of his peers uh, who advised him against the foolish thing that he did, which split the, uh, split the kingdom. And so uh, this is a common thing, by the way, in our day, young people seeking wisdom and advice from other young people and ignoring the advice of their parents or other older and wiser people. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't young people for them to get good counsel from, but they're rare. It's, it's rare in their youth, and usually they'll prefer the counsel of the young people uh, uh, against the counsel of their parents or older people. Uh, as a general rule, you'll see that. And as a teenager, this was me. I mean, that was exactly me. I mean, I, I would listen uh, with, to the counsel of my wicked friends that were my age, and they were. I look back at the things you used to say, I thought, oh, stupid, you mean I believe that? It's because my friends told me and myths and foolish things that I believed. I was a companion of fools. I truly was. And I paid the price for it. Um, not the ultimate price, thankfully, because God rescued me, stopped me on my path to destruction, thankfully. And one of the greatest benefits to me as a young Christian was being around older and godly men. And I treasure those days, and I learned from many of them just, in ordinary conversation, not necessarily in formal teaching sessions, but of course there was that from some of my older teaching pastors and, and this and that. But I had older, just older godly friends, and, and I remember their influence on me, just listening to them and, and observing how they treated their wives, for example, and, and things of that nature. It was it was good for me just to be around them and, and learn from their example. I, I, I learned very much from many of them. So I, in my life, I experienced the full gamut of this proverb. I was a companion of fools, and, uh, and I certainly reaped some terrible things for that, from that. But I also uh, had these older men in my life. Most of them are dead now because I myself, of course, am an older man myself. So, so much, most of them older men are dead. But I'll never forget them and how I relish... Uh, uh, the uh, the things that I learned from them and and how I how they helped me in my Christian life and so sometimes they were helping me in a way that I didn't even, they didn't even probably weren't even aware they were helping me just by their godly influence and the things that I heard them talk about and things of that nature so 
So, uh, so, I, so I purposed as a Christian to be around older, wiser men. And that was, that was good for me. Uh, so, so you young people, I'm glad we got some young people here this morning. You need to seek out godly older people. Ask them questions and listen to their advice. And, and you do. The young people we have that I see here, that's, that's the way these young people are. And I appreciate that, that you're, you're smarter than I was when I was your age. First, when I was your age, I was an unregenerate, unsaved uh, young man. And, uh, and so I, uh, birds of a feather, you know, flock together. You know, saying that's a proverb of Benjamin Franklin. But it's something you observe every day in, uh, in the world. Well, we see that the birds of a feather do flock together. So um, older people have much to offer. But uh, um, uh, and, and, and understand this too, young people. Understand this because there's a lot of young people that have fallen for this, and that is that they think that knowledge equals wisdom. And just because, you know, like say, you know, I fumble around with my smartphone and I'll have to have some young person help me because I don't know about this or that. And a kid of 10 years old can help me with things that I don't know. That doesn't mean they have wisdom. It means they have some knowledge that I don't have. But, uh, but so many young people think because they have all the knowledge that's in Google at their fingertips that somehow that makes them wise. Knowledge does not make a person wise. It makes us puffed up according to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But it doesn't make us wise. We need knowledge, and, and knowledge is helpful to wisdom, but only as knowledge is subservient to wisdom, and we learn humility with our knowledge. So let's go on now then to the next proverb. Next proverb, verse 21. Evil pursues sinners, but to the righteous, good shall be repaid. Again, we see in that sin... In this proverb here, we see that sin is bad and righteousness is good. And as I've said so many times, if I could do nothing more than just convince you of that, that sin is bad and righteousness is good, then I've accomplished more than most preachers accomplish in their lifetimes. Help their congregation to understand that sin is bad and sin is always bad and righteousness is Always good. I've been, been studying James chapter 1 with my employees on, uh, at NAFCO, and uh, today we were looking at that passage in chapter 1 where it talks about um, how blessed is the man that, uh, that, that, that endures temptation, for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. And it says, uh, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. And it uh, goes on and talks about how we are tempted when we're drawn away by our own lust and enticed. And when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. And then it goes on from there and it says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so this Thing. He's not starting a new section when he, when, he, when he starts talking about God the Father as the Father of lights. It's still in the same section when he's talking about temptation. Why does he interrupt between those two verses, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren? Well, it's because of that deception of temptation, where temptation tells you that this sin is going to give me something good in my life. Isn't that why people fall for temptation? Isn't that what Eve thought? Says, 
she, she saw the fruit as something that was good and something that was desirable, and so she took it and she ate it. And so that's really the basic theme of all temptation and sin in our lives, isn't it? That uh, the devil comes and he says, uh, yes, I know God says this, but if you just tweak that just a little bit, and that's the way he always puts it, you know, you're not really violating, you're just tweaking it a little bit, you know. And uh, in our minds, that's what we do. Well, I'm not really, it's not, if it is a sin, it's a little one, right? And, uh, and so that's what he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. He said, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and from the Father of lights because, because uh, he's trying to instill in their minds that don't be deceived by temptation. If you're looking for something good, follow the will of God. Do the will of God. Follow God's commandments. Those things are always good. There's no even shadow of turning in God. And he talks about God being uh, so perfect, and, he's, and, and there's not even a shadow of anything bad in God. And so that if we'll be uh, serious followers of God and doing his will, then we won't yield to temptation because we'll know that, no, I, want, I don't want that. I want something that's, that's actually good. <laughs> Every good gift is from God, not from uh, the result of the temptations of the devil or the temptations of the world or the temptations of our sinful flesh. But the Bible but but but, but these temptations and are always at work to deceive people. And he said when he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, I think that's informative for us as well, because he's saying that beloved brethren can be deceived by these things. Now you can be a Christian and you can still be deceived by sin. And so don't be deceived. Follow close to God and the Father of lights, and then we won't fall into temptation. So, evil pursues sinners. You see, uh, it's a very simple lesson we need to be reminded of over and over again, and it's because every temptation to sin comes with the that, that underlying lie that this particular sin is good, or at least it's not very bad, but to do it God's way, to live righteously or whatever this particular situation that we're in or this particular um, thing that we have to deal with in our lives, if we actually did it God's ways, God's way, it would actually be bad for us or at least inconvenient. And why do we keep falling for the same lie? Well, it's because of our corrupt, sinful natures that are always at enmity with God. Do never, never think that you don't still have that war within you. The Bible says, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, that the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh lusts against the spirit. And, uh, and, and, and that's in the life of the Christian. So evil pursues sinners. The ESV says this. It says disaster pursues sinners. So basically it's saying that evil things pursue sinners, even disastrous things. The New Testament version, then, of this would be Galatians 6-7, where it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And, of course, you know, of course, I talk about this principle of sowing and reaping a lot. Well, we see it so much in the book of Proverbs and throughout the scriptures, and we see it in real life as well. 
But it bears repeating because most people don't really have a clue how sowing and reaping actually works um, in the spiritual realm. Uh, So many people are living sinful lifestyles and thinking that all is well. Their sin brings them some sort of pleasure. and They can't sense anything evil coming to it. In other words, I don't feel a disaster coming upon me because of the sin, and so they keep keep it up, and they're insensible to the evil that's coming to them on account of them, and that's because it 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 it, uh, it, it the things that we sow are the same thing as the farmer when he sows, and that is you put farmer puts a seed into the ground. I know you've heard me say this so many times. A farmer puts a seed into the ground, he gets his lounge chair and sits there and looks at the ground and sits there a few hours and says, I don't see anything coming from this. Well, you'd say, well, this guy's nuts. What's the matter with this guy? You know? But that's the way people are with spiritual things. They sow evil things, and then weeks go by, months go by, maybe even some years go by, and they think, okay, I haven't reaped anything bad. They don't understand the way it works. You don't reap the same con- those consequences as quickly as you might think that you should. And if you tell them that evil or disaster is coming upon them because of their sin, they'll mock you. They, they, don't, they don't believe it because their experience is telling them something else. George Lawson says this. He says, they perhaps do not feel their misery and danger, but enjoy the transient pleasures of sin in the world and think themselves secure of a long-continued term of prosperity. But misery is pursuing them as a hound pursues his prey and will not desist from the chase till it is destroyed. You know how a hound pursues their prey, a hound after a rabbit. They won't give up till they've tore that thing into pieces. That's the way sin pursues the sinner. Sinner may, and still quoting George Lawson, he says, sinners may flee away as on eagles' wings, but vengeance follows them on the wings of the wind. And of course, Dale's favorite all-time sermon, Payday Someday, by R.G. Lee, he really uh, emphasizes that in that, doesn't he? He says something like, and I'm probably quoting it wrong, Dale, but sometimes he, he said something about how uh, God's judgment uh, uh, comes slowly, uh, and, uh, and, uh, but he says when it does finally arrive, it, it, it crushes completely. And so uh, this is what we see with men uh, who are uh, sitting and not realizing what's going to come upon them. Charles Bridges says this, and he's quoting Psalm 49, verse 5, that says, when the iniquity of his heels surrounds him. And here's his quote. He says, he thinks, he, this man who, who has the iniquity of his heels surrounding him, he thinks only of present gratification, and he never looks back, and therefore he sees not the evil pursuing him. His blindness thus makes his ruin more certain, and how dearly are his momentary pleasures purchased at the cost of eternity. It'd be like driving down the road, and uh, and you've got a you've got a, a a fire truck behind you going to a fire. He's got his he's got his lights going and his sirens going, and but you're going down the road and you're listening to your radio at full volume, and you're not even. I think there's people like that out there. I've seen them, and uh, and they don't even know what's going on. They don't realize uh, the danger. Uh, Matthew sixteen twenty six for what. Profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? But then the rest of that proverb goes on and says this, but the righteous, to the righteous, good shall be repaid. Now this is the alternate truth 
that we need to keep in mind also for our encouragement, don't we? Uh, just as God will repay evil, he will also reward good. God is not like man. Uh, men forget as soon as, as soon as the good that is done for them, as soon as it's done, they, it seems like they forget. It's all, always with men, it's like, what have you done for me lately? Isn't it? But God is not like that. He keeps notice even of giving a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6 again goes on to say that not only will evil be repaid in the laws of sowing and reaping, but the good also falls under that same principle. And so he says, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. It works the same way doing good as it does doing evil. Those doing evil, they think, oh, I'm fine, you know, no problem. Those doing good, they're doing good and they're saying, you know, how come I have all these troubles in my life? Think of Asaph, Psalm 73. He saw the prosperity of the wicked and he let it, he let it discourage him. But there again, he wasn't thinking about the long-term, uh, the long-term plan of the whole uh, of God and the whole way sowing and, and reaping works. And he finally came to his senses when he went into the temple of God. It says, and then he says, then, then I saw their end. He says, surely you have set them in slippery places. And then he realized what a fool he had been thinking the way he had been thinking. And so, and so um, uh, uh, this is the alternate truth that we need to keep in mind. Um, uh, 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 he, he's, saying that, he's saying we shouldn't be discouraged. Uh, we can be tempted to, dis- be to, to, to discouragement when you see the lack of appreciation given to us by people. But we need to remind ourselves that it isn't people that we should be looking to please. Every good work that we do should be done as to the Lord. So that whether people see it or not, God sees it. And as he says, in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So the harvest of good, as I said, it never comes as soon as we would like it to come, but it's coming just as surely as evil is pursuing sinners. And just as sinners will regret every evil thing they've done, so for us, uh, we will be glad for every good work that we have done. And under that subject, I'd like to consider this. Consider the generosity of the grace of God. Consider just how gracious God is. Aren't we required to do good works? Isn't that something we're commanded to do? Of course we are. Aren't we unprofitable servants? Can we do a good work and say, now, God, you owe me something because, you know, I did this good thing. None of us could. You wouldn't be so brash, would you? I mean, you know better than that. Still, we sometimes can kind of think that way. Uh, the generosity of the grace of God. Charles Bridges, again, he says this, the evil follows in just retribution, that is, to the sinner. The other is the reward of grace. This is not the smallest good shall lose its reward. How clearly we see this as the nature of grace, that when even perfect obedience can claim no reward, such unworthy, such defiled work, should be so honored with an infinite, overwhelming acceptance. It's encouraging to the Christian. Have you ever done a good work that was just flawless and it's absolutely perfect? 
Not one of you have. I never have. And yet God counts it as though it were flawless. He counts it as though it was done in Christ. And God accepts it, as Bridges says here, with an infinite, overwhelming acceptance. Christian, God accepts your good works, even though they're not perfect. He accepts them and he rewards them, not because you deserve a reward, but because he is that gracious. What a wonderful God that he does this. It's just for God to repay the wicked for their sins. But it's grace that gives us the reward for good works. We serve, we serve a generous-hearted God. You know, Solomon was dissatisfied with his works, and he counted all his labor as vanity and grasping after the wind. We read that in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. But as for us, as for Christians, we ought to be rejoicing in the good works that God has given us to do because God will not forget them. Even as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Our work is not grasping after the wind. Everything we do for Christ is has its reward. That plaque that I have hanging up in my office uh, that I've quoted before, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. So, so my question is this, what kind of companions do you seek? And this reveals what kind of person you are. Uh, do you seek fools for companions? Then you'll either be a fool yourself or you'll be a companion of fools and you'll suffer the, the consequences of that. Do you seek companionship among the wise and the godly? Then, then you also will be wise. Your choices have consequences. Our choice of evil companions or of evil um, or our choice of good companions and doing good. It will one day yield all that God has said in these verses. It will come to pass just as he has said in, this, in these verses that we've talked about here tonight. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed and evil will pursue, evil does pursue sinners, but to the righteous good shall be repaid. Uh, our choices have consequences, and they will yield exactly what this verse has said. But I would encourage you this, that if you were like me, and if you've chosen wrongly, um, the good news is that there is forgiveness with God in the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, I'm so glad that here I was. I was running on my way to destruction, but God, it's like he put out his hand. He said, stop. <laughs> and he stopped me in my tracks. And he sent an evangelist to tell me about how Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and that he laid his life down on the cross so that we could have our sins forgiven, so that we could have, we could, we could have our sins forgiven and have a right relationship with God. So if there's any of you here tonight that have not uh, done that, have not surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and received Christ as your Savior, well, the good news is that the gospel is open. He's ready to forgive. And, uh, and when we fall short, we know that we have a forgiving God. 
Uh, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And it's in his gospel that we trust, not in our own good works. Let's pray.